Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go right now. I promise you that. I remember as a kid growing up, and I was, uh, you know, I'd sing along when they'd sing about heaven, but uh, I got to tell you, I was like, please slow that down. There's a lot of things I'd like to do first, and like get my driver's license, and uh, my wife wanted to go to the prom. She told me that was her story, and I wanted to get married because, you know, there's no marriage in heaven, so there's some, you know, well, anyway... um, You know, we all have things that we want to do before we go to heaven, and so, and and you know what else? I was a little uncomfortable with the whole afterlife conversation, just the whole talk of judgment and, uh, you know, the judgment day. That'll scare you, right? Like, I mean, the preachers used to say the great and terrible day of the Lord, and I would wonder, how can something be great and terrible at the same time? Because I don't understand that. And uh, what it did for me was just conjure up images of this huge God on a throne, and I'd be like a little ant, and there'd be a big movie screen, and they would play like all the bad things I ever did, and, it, and all the people would be watching, the great crowd of witnesses, whatever that meant, and I just thought, this doesn't sound very pleasant to go through. So my response was, you know, I, I believe I'm going to heaven, I, I hope, and I just don't want to think about it right now. <laughs> And that's the way a lot of people live. Like, if I could just go through life and try to avoid heavy conversations like that. And so that's really what, you know, Kenny Chesney's singing about. I mean, I I like the idea of heaven when I die, but wow, um, it's not a comfortable topic to speak about. But that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks as we talk about the afterlife because, you know, the death rate is 100%. Every one of us will uh, face death someday, and it's really important for us to stop and consider what's going to happen on the other side. All of us uh, are captured a little bit by the culture that says live for right now. Live for today. Live for what you got to do on Monday. What do you got to do next week? It's very short-term thinking. It's one of the great tragedies of our culture that nobody really thinks long-term anymore. But I want to help you do that today as we talk one more time about the afterlife, what happens after you die. And if you pull out your outline and you take a note of this uh, scripture verse I have printed there, or you can follow along on the screen, turn on your Bible to Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians chapter 3. And this is speaking specifically to believers, but I've got some things in here today specifically for those of you who say, you know what, I'm not sure what I believe, and uh, I've definitely got questions, maybe more questions than I'd care to admit. I wouldn't really be considered a real religious person. I want to talk to you today as well. But, but let's read this passage together, if you would. Just, just, uh, just follow along today. Um, Since then you have been raised to new life with Christ. Set your, re- your sights on the realities of heaven. Let me just say that again. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. One day when he returns... You're going to share in his glory. So right now, he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. That's what I want to talk about today. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to feel uh, what it is that you're talking about when you, when you say help uh, to think with heaven in mind and to make this our daily priority. Show us how to do that from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you just write this in in your notes right now and just here's the premise of the whole message. When you start setting your sights on the realities of heaven, it's a catalyst for total change in your life. You, you will, it, it changes your reference point 
And when your reference point about what life is about changes, there's going to be total transformation in your life. So last week I started talking about what Jesus taught is the sequence of events that happens after you die. I think it's important, and I talked about it. I didn't give you 25 things. I just said, here's the four things that Jesus talked about. Let's do pop quiz time, because you've been thinking about it all week. It's only been seven days. What is the first thing that happens when a person dies? What's the first thing that happens? Does anybody know? There's going to be, you know, does everybody get resurrected, or does nobody get resurrected, or Christians get resurrected, or just good people? Which one is it? Everybody, good job. Everybody gets resurrected. The scriptures say God is going to raise both the unrighteous and he's going to raise the righteous. What do, you, what do you think happens next? What's the next thing that happens right after you're resurrected? Breakfast? Celebration? Judgment? Which is it? It's judgment, that's right. And then after the judgment, there's going to be what? Separation, and then after separation, it's separation not to ethereal, universal existence, not to uh, reincarnation back on this life, not even uh, to just ceasing to exist. You're going to be resurrected to live in one of two places, Jesus said, either heaven or hell, okay? That's what Jesus taught. Now, I love how simple and plain that is, but I want to just talk about the implications of that information for the two groups of people that are in the room. There's people in here who say, well, you know what, I'm not really religious, got those questions, um, seeking answers. And then there's people who have said, I've, I've decided to follow Christ. I've decided to follow him. And I'm going to speak to both of you today. Let's, let's just talk first about those of you who are here and you're saying, you know what, I'm not sure what to believe. I like to believe what you're saying, but I'm not about to just roll over and just because somebody says so. I'm glad you're here. Let me talk to you about when you start thinking with eternity in view, when you start to fix your mind and start thinking about eternity, I want to give you some things that if I were in your shoes, I would start to feel. And I think they're really helpful. Maybe they'd surprise you. I don't know if you'd feel this way, but here's, here's the first thing I would feel. Number one, I would start to feel a little grateful. I'd have gratitude. That's surprising, but, but here's why. This is not a mystery. I'm grateful that Jesus made it so plain in the Bible. In fact, the Bible's so clear about what happens after you die that a 10-year-old could pick up the Bible and read it. It's, I'm grateful that I don't have to go through life with a lot of confusion or there's a lot of mystery. At least I can get the information simply and plainly. The second thing that I would feel if, if, if I were seeking out the answers is that I would feel a sense of relief. Why relief? Well, because I'm glad to know that one day God is going to have his justice prevail. That one day he's going to call every person to account. That, that none of this senseless suffering that we see going on in the world is just going to escape his grip. That every person is going to stand before God and be held to account. That's what keeps me from going crazy when I watch the news. I mean, how many more school classroom shootings do we need to see? And how many more bombs have to be set up? And, and really, have you guys even paid attention to what's happening in Syria right now? I mean, this is just off the radar for most Americans. But 75,000 men, women, and children slaughtered in the last year. They said this week that sarin gas, I mean, chemical weapons, confirmed. Do you, under, <laughs> do you understand what that does to a person? And the atrocity of that is, is unspeakable. And, and I'm just glad when I see that, I go, God, you're a God that says one day the rivers of justice will flow. I mean, one day you're going to make that right. Because if it wasn't for that, it would be just unthinkable. There, somebody has to be held for account for the evil that's in this world. And I have relief to know that one day God's going to settle every score. 
all right? The third thing that I'm kind of feeling glad about is that there's hope. Because if you talk about a God who, who's going to judge every person and there's going to be a day of judgment, the great and terrible day of the Lord, um, that's pretty heavy. It's pretty ominous sounding. It's very, it's very deep and, and that's heavy. But in front of that, there's a God who gives an incredible loving offer to every person to just come as you are. With, with judgment in the background, there's this foreground opportunity for every person where God says, just come. Don't have to fix yourself. Don't have to pretend. Don't have to change your resume. I mean, just come as you are right now, and I'll accept you. Humble yourself before me, and I'll give you the gift of eternal life. That's incredibly hopeful news. The fourth thing that I think every person needs to feel who's searching out the answers for their eternity is soberness. It's the fourth emotion. A, a, a healthy sense of sobriety that at some point in your life, you realize that, that the issue of just pushing this off, putting this issue on the back burner is like playing a really, really high stakes game of roulette with your eternal soul. I mean, what really happens after you die and when are you gonna settle that issue? There's so many people who are playing the whole avoidance thing. It's really, really painful to watch someone that you love just do the avoidance thing. Like, you know, they've got a medical condition and you know they should go to the doctor and saying, you need to get that checked, you need to go, and I'm fine, I'm good, there's no problems. In fact, people who are dealing with avoidance are spending so much energy trying to convince everybody else that they're fine. You know what I'm talking about? Like everything's good, there's no problems. Um, in fact, people dealing with avoidance are, pointer, are finger pointers. They're always pointing at somebody else to get the attention off of themselves and say, well, what about them and all of that? But here's the thing. Uh, when you're carrying around all that energy, it's very tiring to be in the voidance. And then secondly, there are those moments when uh, you, in the quiet of your, of your soul, you hear God's voice to you, and he's going, come on. When are you going to deal with the condition of your soul? And in your most honest moments, you've had God's whisper, and you're saying, you know what, I know. I just can't change. I'm stuck. Or whatever you say to God, there is a moment where you know but avoidance, you know, pushing it off into the future, procrastination. I think it's appropriate that every person has at some point a real soberness about this issue. Like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever I have to rearrange in my life, I'm willing to move it around so I get the answers that I need. And to, to humble myself before God, to formally admit sin, and to formally ask Christ into my life and to make that change. I think that's so appropriate for people to have that that sense of sobriety. Let me read you a scripture since we are on this topic. Here, here's an appropriate sober scripture, okay, considering the topic today. A little jolt of reality, if you will. In Re Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse 11, it says this, okay, we all need to know this information. I saw a great white throne and the one who was sitting on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There's no place to hide. Nothing is gonna escape, okay? I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they'd done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. Death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This, is, this lake of fire is the second death. And here's the part. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. People whose names are in the book of life got there because they asked Jesus Christ to put their name in there. 
And one of the great sadnesses that I have as a pastor is watching people that I love. You know, I never want to pressure anybody. You know I don't do that. And you know I never want to force. You're grown. You can make your own choice. But I see people living as if tomorrow will never come. Like, you know, I'll have enough time. I'm young. I've got tomorrow. I just I really want to think about this right now. One of these days. And to be in a church, you know, I mean, think about the irony and the sadness of being in a church where God's word is taught, you know, so clearly, and you see the stories of people whose lives are changed. You watch people get baptized. You, 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 you admire them for making the change. And you say, one of those days, that's got to be me. But in the meantime, you're going, you know what? Um, not today. That procrastination is such a sad thing for me to see. It's a sad thing for God to see because you're living like you have the rest of your life. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And I think of the invitations I've given over the years, over and over, asking people to just, just simply humble yourself before God. That's all you have to do. Receive his invitation to come to him. And uh, people just say, later. And um, man, do you realize the sadness and the tragedy of having heard um, but then being in hell someday because you just procrastinated and you said, I got more time. You see, um, at the end of this service, I want to give that opportunity again. And I want every person to realize that judgment does not have to be the default destination. That every person has the opportunity to simply say, Jesus Christ, I need you, and to respond and do that. But, but before I get to that, I want to talk to the people who've already made that decision. Those of you who have said, you know what, I have decided to follow Christ, and I'm, I'm headed towards him. This scripture I read today is for you. This scripture where it says um, very clearly, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. So since you've made the decision, since you've humbled yourself, this is talking to you. And, and the word of the Lord to you today is, my friends, set your sights on heaven. Don't live just for today. Don't just think about the things here on earth, but focus your life and set your mind on the reality of heaven. If you do this, there are some changes that will happen and things are going to change in your life. I want to give you some perspectives that will change and some emotions that you should feel once you've, once you've really started to get this, that, that my whole life is supposed to be focused on the reality of heaven. The first one is this, that you're going to start living life with true peace. Real soul peace is available to you, and that is priceless in today's world. People would pay millions of dollars if they could have that, and they can. Real peace comes from settling the issue of knowing where you're going. Have you ever been to the airport, and you're sitting there at the gate, and it's packed, the flight is full, and I have my boarding pass, I have my seat assignment. You know what I'm doing at those moments? I just relax, reading my Kindle, having a latte, talking to some people around me, you know, just hanging out. But I look over and I see the line of people waiting to get on standby. They have a very different response than me at that moment. Have you ever watched people who are on standby? You know how anxious they are? You ever seen people kind of like getting nasty and kind of mean and, you know, I need to get on this flight, but there's no security that they're going to get on, so they're just stressed out. Meanwhile, I'm like, hey, you want to go get something to eat? You know, you know just want to hang out? I mean, there's just no worries. Why? Because my seat is secure. My place is secure. I've got my boarding pass. I got the ticket. I know where I'm going. So I don't even have to worry. I don't even give it another thought. But the people who have not ha don't have, the, have that ticket in their hand, they're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And there's a lot of pressure. How, how sad to live your whole life with that kind of deep anxiety, worrying about what's going to happen when you die. You don't have to live like that. There's great peace. You know why? 
I settled this issue of peace like 20 years ago, and I know some of you would think, well, you know, how self-righteous do you have to be? You just know that you're going. Listen, it's not like that. It wasn't anything that I did. It wasn't my performance. There's nothing I could do to, to perform up to the standard of a holy God. The whole idea here is that Jesus gave me something that I didn't deserve by his mercy. Jesus took judgment upon himself that I deserved, but he took it upon him, and then I, I trusted him uh, to carry that judgment on my behalf. I want to read you some scriptures that will prove my point. Take a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away your sin and mine, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. That, that grace blows my mind, that God gives you something uh, that you don't deserve. My sins being washed away because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus was judged for my sin. Do you understand that? That he went on the cross and he, he was judged so that I wouldn't have to be judged. Now, I don't know if you get the implication of that, but follow me where I'm going. Um, look at this verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. If all of the things that I was supposed to be judged with were taken off of me and placed on Christ, what am I left with? See, it, I'm left just as if I never sinned, which is called justification, which means that I don't have, I don't have any sin. If I'm, if I'm not carrying around the need to be judged, I will never stand before that great, great white throne judgment. I don't think Christians understand this. You think that like everybody else, you're going to stand before the great white throne and the movie screen and all your sins. Listen, if your sins have been canceled and taken away, there's nothing to bring up on the screen. Amen. <laughs> Why are you living like, you know, I'm scared of the, I don't know if God's going to accept me. Listen, when, when you have asked Christ, when you've, if you've really trusted him, there's been a transfer, he was judged. That's why the scriptures say there's no condemnation. That's why we say this is the guilt-free zone. If you're in Christ, I mean, I know that there's things in your life that aren't where they're supposed to be, me too, but I can tell you this, I will stand before God and he will say, enter into the joy of the Lord, not on my righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And I have peace because of that. That's, that's great peace that you can have. Let me read you one more scripture because it's important. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's incredible peace. Let me give you a second reality um, here. But before I get to that, you know, you might say, well, wait a second, don't I face a judgment? Well, yeah, you'll face a judgment, but it's a different judgment. It's, uh, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. There's two judgments when you die. There's the great white throne judgment, and that's for unbelievers, for people who are impenitent, people who say no to Christ and his offer. But there's another judgment that's going to be there for every believer where God will judge everything we've done in this life, and he's going to weigh that, and on the basis of the, the value of our works, he's going to give us reward in heaven. There's going to be a different level of reward for our faith most. He'll take everything you've ever done. It'll be subjected to sort of this, this blowtorch of refining fire and the stuff that was done with right motives and a pure heart and the things we did for Christ, it'll be left. The stuff that we did for pride or for, for our own ambition or whatever, they'll get burned away like straw. But there's going to be some stuff that will remain and he's going to reward us 
And I know some of you don't like the idea of there being levels or rewards in heaven. Like, I, I, I don't want somebody to have a bigger mansion than me, and I'll be jealous of that. Like, kind of like you look at your neighbor's house here, and you know what? It's heaven. There's no jealousy, and there's no coveting, and there's no sin, and all that competition that you have with, with other people, that's going to be gone. You're just going to be thankful uh, to receive the reward that you have, and you'll look at others and go, man, they totally deserve that. Good for them. You're going to do that. We even see that in this world a little bit today in the realm of professional athletics, where you see two incredible professional athletes compete, and at the end, they, they embrace each other, and they say, man, awesome contest. And one wins, and the other loses, but there's a great respect. You know, some people would say, just to even compete at this level is such an honor. Just to even have meddled in this event, wow. Some of you guys will just be, I'm just glad to be here. Woo! You know, just got in. I don't care if there's a reward. The flames were at my feet, and whoo, I'm here. You know, you're going to be like that. You're just going to be grateful I mean, have you seen this place? Uh, I'm in heaven. You're not going to be coveting somebody else's stuff. But that's the, that's the judgment that you'll face, the great judgment seat of Christ. So there's a lot of peace in that. I can start looking forward to heaven. The second thing I want to talk to you about is per- the perspective that will come. When you set your sights on heaven, it changes your reference point. And then you start going, well, in light of, of heaven, what does this matter? This little insult, or that person looked at me a certain way, or this, this slight, or, or all this time I'm spending on this, is it going to be worth it in the light of eternity? Is, is this ambition, is this goal, is this worthy of eternity? You see, when you got heaven in your sights, your perspective starts to change. And when your perspective changes, man, that changes everything. That changes your attitude. It changes your purpose. It changes all kinds of stuff. Let me tell you something that C.S. Lewis wrote so long ago, but it's so powerful. Great Christian thinker. Listen to this. He says, the continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but it's one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean that we leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were the ones who thought most of the next. So the apostles themselves who set foot on conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the evangelicals who abolished slavery, all left their mark on earth precisely because they had their minds occupied on heaven. Now, since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they have become so ineffective in this life. Isn't that the truth? You aim at heaven, and you're going to get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you lose both. So as a believer, you need the perspective to realize that God is trying to use your life ultimately for his glory. It's not about you. It's about an eternal glory. So when you go through suffering and you go through trial, you know, these present sufferings, these afflictions are nothing compared to the great glory that's going to be revealed on that day. We have perspective. I know he's working all things together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Um, nothing just happens. There's, there's no waste of anything. Like some Sandra on the video, you know, I don't know why she came to Indianapolis, but God knows, and he has a purpose for her life, and he's got a purpose for your life, too. God's perspective on everything is so much better than the human one, I got to tell you. You know, I grew up in in the the Caribbean, and my mom and dad raised me uh, in some of uh, the poorest countries of the world, and I remember them taking me to church as a little kid, and we'd sit in church, and sometimes it'd be just under a tree with two concrete blocks and and a plank of wood. And one of my great memories from growing up was the way 
uh, people sang in church. It's not like us. We're watching the show, man, compared to, I mean, when you, if you go to Haiti with me today and meet some of your brothers and sisters in Christ in the poorest country in our hemisphere, and you were to show up and, you know, they don't have what you have. They don't have the stuff you have. They don't have the medical care you have. They don't have much of anything. But you should hear these Christians sing and, and praise the Lord. You should see them just th- thank God for what he has given them. But so much of their praising goes, God, this life is not all that there is. One day you're coming for me. One day you're going to give me a life that's better than today. And there is the hope of heaven, something that we have kind of lost because we live in so much comfort. I mean, just think about uh, them singing. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see, right? When I gaze upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand, he'll lead me to the promised land. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. And we don't sing that much anymore. We ought to. The perspective of heaven. You see, when you have the right perspective, number three, you're going to start actually anticipating heaven, which I don't think we do very much. But think about it. When you aren't afraid of judgment and your perspective on heaven is right, you actually start to long for heaven, which is the Bible uh, tells us to do. Long for heaven. Pray, pray that, that, that you will get there and, 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 and anticipate it. The longer that I live and the older I get and the more pain I experience and the more tragedy I see, and the sorrow and heartbreak that we all endure, there are days when I just go, God, can you just get us there? I'm tired of living this life. And you watch people, and I remember my grandfather, he got into his older years, and he was just weary of this world, they say, and longing for heaven. And when he finally crossed over and he died, and, and I think about the rewards that God gave to him for the thousands of people that came to know Christ through his life, and I long to see him. I long to be reunited with him and to hug his neck and to, to just... Um, to just have that opportunity to see the ones that I love that have already gone on. But I'll tell you what gets me the most. Here's a piece of my heart. I've probably prayed to Jesus for about 30 years, every day, somewhere or another. Never saw his face. Just talked to him, and sometimes I've heard his voice to me. And think about the day when I get to to meet the person I've been talking to my whole life life. And I see him face to face and realize, man, you're the one who died for me and you gave your life for me. You've walked me. You've been my best friend. Anticipation. Longing for heaven. Set your sights on the Lord, on heaven, on the day that you'll see your Savior face to face. Am I getting you ready? Are you excited about this? give you one more. When you set, when you set your sights on heaven, there ought to be a great motivation for the gospel that starts to well up inside of you. If heaven and hell are real, and I believe with all my heart they are, and everything the Bible says is true, then um, God loves people very much. And they're the only things that are going to last forever. And someday, as a Christian, you need to answer this question. What are you doing that's going to live or outlive your life? What are you going to do with your life that's going to, out, that's going to outlive the grave? What's going to go on after you're done? What's, what, what are you living for that's, that's going to be for eternity? 
the money that you're accumulating, it's not going to go with you. The possessions you have, never going to make it through the grave. The, the position you hold in life, not going to matter. The experiences that you think are so great right now, they're not going to go on. So what's going to go on after you die? What's going to matter for your whole life? The only people... Only people are going to go through to the other side. And I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I possibly can. That's the point of this life. To tell people that there's no condemnation. You don't have to, you don't have to die and go to hell. That, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop running from him. Don't resist him. And there's no, I mean, just, it's just your ego, right? What's the big deal? In the light of eternity with God, just, just humble yourself and and look at the change he can make in your life. He'll not only forgive you, but he'll change you. See, every one of you have the opportunity to do that. You have to ask yourself, why did God give me all the resources he gave me? Why did God give me the, the, the gifts and the abilities? Some of you are like, like you know, you're, you've got horsepower and you've got energy and you've got ability and you've got vision. And I'm just saying, what are you going to do with all of that that's going to outlast this life? Is it just for the here and now? Or did God bless you with all of that so that you can be, uh, you can, you know, be his, be his messenger of the gospel? The scripture says this, that you are called by God to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. Um, beginning in our own community, in our city, in other cultures that are near us, and even to the end of the earth. He says, that's your mission, now go. And if you want God's power in your life, I mean, are you tired of just saying to God, God, I wish I could stop doing this. God, I wish that, that, that I could get rid of this self-defeating habit. I wish that you'd solve this. When you get on mission with God, it is amazing what the power of the Holy Spirit does in all these other areas of your life. Instead of just sitting around going, God, you know, fix this, fix this, me, 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 me. Why don't you just get on mission for the Lord? And the Bible says when you do that, his Holy Spirit's power will enable you to do what he's called you to do. And watch self-defeating stuff go away because you're not focused on yourself anymore. Am I making sense at all to anybody? I know that I know, I'm, I'm doing this to help you. I, wanna, I want you to be free. I want you to have the power of God in your life. I'm not asking you to like me today. I'm just wanting to help you, okay? All right? This, this life is so temporary. It is so short. It's going to be gone. And, and God has people in your life, and, and he expects you to be a witness to them. Not the judge, not the prosecuting attorney, um, not a bystander, but really just to be a witness. And every one of you is equipped you say, Darren, I'm not equipped. I can't talk like you. Listen, here's the thing. Every one of you I know has the template for the talk inside of you right now. You know, what it, you know how it goes? Let me tell you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Say it with me. That's saved like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. If you can do that, you have the gospel inside of you. You have your story where you say, you know what, I was so lost. I did not understand what life was about. In fact, I was a really big sinner. If I was pretending to everybody, but <laughs> the truth be told, you know, I know my wicked heart. But then I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, and he has filled me with his spirit, and he's given me peace. My future is secure, and he's changing my life. I'm not all that I should be, but, you know, I'm better than I used to be, and I'm going to heaven someday. I want you to come with me. Yeah. <laughs>
Are you a Christian today? Are you a Christ follower today? Have you said, have you said, I have decided to follow Jesus? Listen to me. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Stop living like a Christian existentialist, just living for today. Set your sights on heaven and, and make your purpose, you know, God, use my life. Use me. Use all my gifts. Use my resources. Use my abilities. You see, God's got a call on our lives. You know why? Because we're loving people well, leading them to a transforming relationship with Jesus. The church that keeps that as its mission, we're here for those who aren't here yet. God has not even begun to bless us yet. You know why? It's not about us. We're not here for us. And when the world looks and sees cultures coming together and people of different background, and they see multi-generational people loving on each other and serving each other, people will say, I don't know about what they're saying yet, but I can see God's love there. And they're going to respond. The future that we have as a church is incredible as long as we keep the mission of God, which is lost people matter to him. And uh, we're going to do everything that we can. We'll sacrifice. We'll do whatever we have to do until Jesus comes back because our mission is none other than change the world for Jesus. I'm going to say it again. Our mission is none other than to change the world in the name of Jesus. That's what we're here for. So I want you to go to heaven. I want you to come with me, and I want, you to, I want us to bring every person we possibly can with us. I hope that from this day forward, forever, you will live for heaven's sake. Do you receive that today? All right. I know that you do. I want to give that opportunity to every procrastinator in the room. And I love you. I wasn't trying to rip on you today. I wanted to, to give you that little moment of sobriety to say, why not today? Why, why just keep coming to church when, when life is tough, you know, when things are bad and then, you know, you go back and drift back? I mean, come on. Today is the day to say, Jesus Christ, forgive me. I've been holding you at a distance, I'm, <laughs> but not anymore. And I'm not going to play God anymore. You're, you're the God of my life. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Why not today? Why not get baptized today? Why not go public and say, from this day forward, no turning back? Why not receive the peace of Christ in your heart? Why not today? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, in this room are people by design that you called specifically this morning, people with questions, people that were invited, people who thought it was the polite thing to do, people who came out of curiosity people who've been coming back and back and back just kind of waiting for when's the moment. And they don't have to change their life. They don't have to fix things, get it all together. They can come just as they are. We accept them right here. This is the guilt-free zone. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd give them a sense of your Holy Spirit right now. Now listen, if that's you, you hear God talking to you, say, God, it's me. He's talking about me today. I give you my life. I surrender to you. I'm sorry for my rebellion and my sin against you. I truly am. Will you forgive me? Will you save me? And as best as I know how, today, be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, say, yes, God, that's me. Holy Spirit, give them the joy that they can't even imagine. Fill them with your spirit right now. And Father, for all of us, I pray that as a church, we will... We'll we'll be one of those churches that sets our sights on the reality of heaven, that we are clear about our mission. We're here for those who aren't here yet. And may we use all of our ability, talents, resources, energy to see your kingdom come till you come again. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.